Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show, the future of Irish media. How are we going to pay for public service broadcasting in an increasingly fragmented mass media market? The government has some concerns. That danger is always there. We've seen it already in some EU member states where governments are now directly influencing to an unhealthy degree um, uh, media outlets. Tougher new laws plan to tackle hate crime and speech. How will they protect you from abuse? And Met Aaron issues a high temperature advisory as Europe faces a dangerous and deadly heat wave from this weekend. We've the very latest. You can join the online conversation on Twitter with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. Tonight, the government has decided not to increase the TV licence fee, but it is planning on overhauling uh, the funding system. It follows a major report by the Future of Media Commission, which looked at the challenges faced by media in Ireland and its funding. The report recommends replacing the licence fee with direct funding from the state. But the government has decided against that model because of concerns about potential political links to the national broadcaster. That danger is always there. We've seen it already in some EU member states where governments are now directly influencing to an unhealthy degree um, uh, media outlets uh, and have, have an, an overbearing influence on some media outlet, outlet, outlets and platforms, which does impact on, on, on democracy and choice. Well, to discuss the future of what we watch and consume, I'm joined by Fianna Fáil Senator Malcolm Byrne, Dr Fanola Doyle-O'Neill from UCC, who is on the Future of Media Commission, Paul Farrell, who is Managing Director of Virgin Media Television, Seamus Dooley is Irish Secretary of the National Union of Journalists, and Adrian Weckler, Tech Editor with the Irish and Sunday Independent. We also invited RTE's Director General Dee Forbes to take part in this discussion tonight, but she was unavailable. Um, to come to you first, Fanola, when we're talking about this, um, you were on the commission, you made 50 recommendations, 49 of which were given the green light and approved by government. They're in favour of them. But funding and the licence fee in particular has always been a contentious issue. And you'd like to see that coming directly from the Exchequer. Why do you think that's such a good idea? Well, first of all, can I say that this was a very considered report, Claire. Um, and what's really important is that um, it is a bit um, upsetting for us that the 49 recommendations um, are not being highlighted and that the one recommendation that wasn't endorsed isn't. So just to go to your point, um, we felt perhaps that there was something archaic about the hybrid system as it is at the moment. Um, and we know that we're 
that, for example, um, Ireland is an outlier in terms of the licence fee, that we're only one of 19 countries who still have a licence fee. But moreover, uh, we're only one of five countries that actually have it directly linked to a, the traditional television set. Uh, the other countries have it linked to, um, to other devices around the, the house and so forth. So we just felt that in terms of revenue, um, that would be probably more equitable, that people mm. would pay their tax rate and would also pay in terms of what they can pay um, in terms of their tax uh, towards the licence fee. But I think it's really, really important to note that if there's a proper um, system that is consolidated in terms of we know there's very, very high levels, for example, of evasion and there's not enough punitive measures, um, and by that I mean that not enough people are actually being penalised for um, evading the licence fee. So we were... I, I'm not, we're not totally um, against the fact that the hybrid model is, is totally um, out of the question. We're just saying that there needs to be an awful lot of enhancement of the current system and there needs to be much more due process. And there needs to be, people need to be aware of the fact that RTE, and I'm no apologist for RTE, but RTE and the National Broadcaster, as well as Virgin Media, they provide very strong public mm. service uh, viewing. And really people, I think 160 euro at the moment, for a lot of people is probably not too much to pay. But at the moment, it's not paying its way. Um, and so the Media Commission had other alternatives, and that was one of them, exchequer funding. Yeah. What about the alternatives and ex exploring, um, exploring those alternatives and the issue around exchequer funding? What's the big issue there? Like, do you share those concerns about, you know, government being seen to have too much of an influence on what the national broadcaster is airing? Well, I, I think, first of all, Claire, I think that there's a, a, a lot of credit is due to FINOLA and all of those who are involved in, under the chairmanship of Breen McCraw in producing this report. Uh, I had hoped that it would have been published sooner. Uh, and I think if we look at the 49 recommendations that were accepted, they cover a broad range of areas, including how we deal with disinformation, misinformation, how we ensure trusted journalism, mm. how we support local and regional and media, which are all very yeah, important elements. Just on elements. the subject of the licence fee. On, on the licence fee, I think the, you know, there, were, there were a number of options considered. Uh, government's concern is that if we look at direct funding from the Exchequer, which is the alternative model, get rid of the licence fee and that government makes a decision to fund the national broadcaster, that that kind of arm's length principle of funding would be broken. And the fear is, whether it'll be a perception or a reality, that some future government may decide, you know, we don't like what RT is, the national broadcaster is doing, and we will cut the funding. And certainly there is evidence in some countries, and I'm thinking about Hungary and Poland, even within the European Union, where clearly government is overstretching when it comes uh, to, uh, to the, the national broadcaster and to media. And we've been very fortunate in Ireland that we have uh, trusted, valued um, public broadcasting uh, that yeah. is provided by RT, but indeed but quality balanced broadcasting by this station and indeed by our okay. local media but as it well. Has, it ha the funding model has been deemed to be inefficient. So it, the overhaul that the Taoiseach, you know, has agreed to and is looking at, that's now going back to the table, isn't it? And we're going to have to yeah. wait to November to hear more on yeah, that. Yeah, well, I, it, this is part of the problem. I mean, the, the issue needs to be addressed very quickly. There is the problem with mm. regard to evasion. We've got to ensure that there is a sufficient fund that is there to fund RT, to fund the Sound and Vision uh, fund. 
I would be very concerned that, you know, we go to a situation where we have another report and then there is consideration as to what to do with that. I think it's essential that the expert group is set up, that it's running, that it does report, and the government gives a commitment that it will act on the findings of that. I mean, I mean, there is an urgency around this, would you think, Paul, around, you know, making a decision and really providing funding in an efficient way uh, for public service broadcasting. What do you think of the current model? Yeah, I mean, I think there is a lot of urgency. I think I'd agree with, with Malcolm. I think a lot of credit should go to the Commission. I think it's a very good report, very inclusive and broad in terms of the contributions that went into it. My major criticism of the report would be linking to your question. There's some significant legislation passing through the houses at the moment around media safety, copyright and media regulation, which will be you know, regulating the industry for the next you know, considerable time. And the bill, or sorry, the Commission's report would have been instrumental in terms of the debate around that legislation and what would be required. And it's been sat on for a year, almost a year now, in terms of facilitating that debate. So that's my main frustration with the report. I agree with a lot of the recommendations. I also would agree uh, on the funding piece. I, would be, I wouldn't agree with the Taoiseach in terms of the dangers of the, the government controlling the media. You know, I think that is a fear, potentially, but I don't think it's, it's meaningful. I think for us... The funding model, as it currently stands, lacks accountability, contestability, and any sort of transparency. So, RTE and TG Carr, you know, spend about 400 million a year on content creation, and there's very little transparency. I think there should be more contestable funds around how other media organisations. I think the Commission's report very clearly defined what public media content was, and that's not the sole preserve of RTE, and it shouldn't be. So, what you're saying is, when the, when the funding is given out, it should specifically go to what is deemed to be in the public service and the likes of commercial and, and sports rights and you know local newspapers local radio stations new digital should all have access to the funding to come yeah. from because the good what we never look at in the context of the license fee is value for money okay value for money Seamus Dooley um, I know the NUJ believes public service broadcasting you know it's a key part of our democracy but would you agree that the, the model is essentially broken, certainly from a funding point of view. The model has been broken for a number of years, and we have to be real. This is no way to run a circus. The, Richard Bruton announced the establishment of a commission on the future of public service broadcasting in 2020, which is going to report... 2019, going to report in 2020 for inclusion in the budget in 2021. The government... There was then a general election. new commission was established, and the government decided that they would announce a commission of experts which would report by September of last year. It reported. The government then launched the report a year later. And one of the recommendations, the key recommendation in relation to the funding of public service broadcasting, is what do we do? We'll appoint another panel well, of experts. What do you think of that view um, from government that we heard um, from Micheál Martin there about sort of state control over, over what the, the national broadcast Well, I think there's an inherent contradiction in this because the Commission report includes the establishment of a media fund, which I welcome. And I believe that that will help uh, develop public interest journalism across what are perceived as particular uh, public service broadcasters. That's going to be funded by government. Currently, government funds grants through the Department of Foreign Affairs, including the Simon Cumbers uh, system. The Broadcasting Authority of Ireland uh, is appointed by government and runs a sound ambition so scheme. What's holding, all of what's those, holding up the show? All, because clearly... All, all of those, clearly sorry, all of those are actually funded by yeah. government. I'm just thinking, clearly the current model, as, as outlined by Finola, they don't think they're getting enough money in and there's people not paying the licence fee, people have an issue with it. Um, so 
I'm just wondering about the political reticence then to, to, to I take genuinely it from the don't know because if reports were to solve this, it would have been solved years ago. A number of bodies, including the BAI and indeed Iraqis commissions, have recommended reform. So, you know, it's, it's profoundly depressing. And this is a really imaginative report which could transform the media landscape in Ireland and lack of political courage because they're afraid of the, of the public reaction is what has informed this. Adrian, of course, I mean, what the media bubble and the market we're talking about now has hugely transformed since the 70s when everyone was sitting around watching TV and listening to the radio. There weren't, you know, that many, diff that many outlets. It's all changed now and you've big tech in the picture too. Absolutely. So if you look at, take a company like Twitter, for example, which even at the low ebb it's at at the moment, would be worth more than all but one or two of the world's biggest media companies. It's ludicrous to suggest that a figure like Elon Musk or, or Joe Rogan even, uh, as a podcaster, doesn't move markets and doesn't move culture discussions as well. The big warning for us in this country is coming from the US, where the society is literally disintegrating at the moment. And a huge part of that is the media over there. They don't really have a public service remit. They don't have an equivalent of a BBC. And for all the criticism it gets, RTE. In general, media in this country and in a lot of European countries is the glue that keeps society together. And overall, I think the report, it's good to see the report recognises this. However, that, that's dispersed. Yeah, but it's all change as well. You're saying that it's the glue that holds mm. it together. But if you look at the likes that we're seeing, you know, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, they're all now veering into the mainstream. This is where many people get their news, get their information, get their content. It is, but if you look at the biggest accounts on a lot of those platforms, take YouTube, for example, a lot of them would be established media entities, would be CNN, would be The Guardian, yes, Fox News as well. The real worry that we have is on platforms like Facebook, where if you look at the top 10 engaged uh, media companies on that, a lot of them are companies we've, we've never heard of, the Daily Caller. These would be entities that, generally speaking, are divisive and operate at the edge of political debate. And that's the big concern in terms of TikTok, YouTube, uh, Instagram, Facebook. Um, so that's why you do actually need a professional media at the core to, you know, to, 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 to help steer this debate. Yeah, the question is, is it strong enough to, to counter that, Paul? I'm thinking about, you know, as a commercial, the commercial sector is facing a very challenging economic time. You're saying you're not getting enough of a slice of the pie from public funding. And also, you've got big tech taking all the ad revenue. Yeah, I mean, that's the huge challenge. As Adrian said, I think Google, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok account for 56% of the advertising market now. That's more than doubled in the last eight years. So, you know, from a commercial point of view, our only source of income is advertising and the market is growing, you know, beyond our control through platforms who, you know, have low or, or little accountability across the globe. And I think that's why I mentioned the copyright directive earlier. I mean, what for actions in Australia now, you wouldn't see Google contributing. But again, Google aren't publishing any of the money they're contributing to local publishers. They don't treat video as a, as a content provider, so they won't support um, video or, or broadcasting. So there's huge issues still to be addressed in this field. Yeah, why aren't we doing something about that? Australia have taken that great leap. Well, well, we, have, we ha actually have made a recommendation. And if, if you take a look at the precedents in France, um, under Article 15, they have now sourced uh, that people will get paid for their new sources. And we need to do 
that here in Ireland, and that's one of our recommendations. And I think it's really important, Claire, also just to highlight that, you know, we, we do spend a lot of time talking about the licence fee, but again, you know, Seamus has mentioned, and, and I feel very gratified by the endorsement that the, uh, that the report has, but we have such strong 49 recommendations, which will really mm. be, uh, be catalysts for change, are very transformative for Irish society. Um, down to the regional, um, years ago, um, when um, Michael T. Higgins was Minister for Arts, Culture and the Gwaeltop, he produced um, a report on local media and talked about it being the heartbeat of the community. So we're also kind of endorsing that. Now, we need to go back to court reporting, community reporting. We need to service yeah. media literacy, media education. Mm. Um, and what's really important as well, I just look around our panel here, Diversity, diversity mm -hmm. is one that we've really, really pushed, and we we felt that you know this this commission, we met twenty five times, oftentimes five or six hours a piece at meetings. You know they weren't all the time convivial. We had lots of open debate because we were a very independent yeah. body. So an awful lot of work went into this, and I hope it won't be eclipsed by the whole issue about the license fee. Well, the whole thing is about funding. You're talking about diversity. You're talking about things that need to be done. I mean, the argument there is. We're not necessarily seeing the diversity. Like, there are a lot of issues. So why should we pump more money into that? Well, I, I think one thing, and Paul made reference to this week in the Shannons, uh, we passed all stages of the online safety and media regulation bill, which is going to be setting up uh, a new media commission, which is potentially the most powerful regulator uh, in Ireland. It's going to be regulating all aspects of media, including the social media companies for the first time. Will it have it, teeth? It, it, well, it, it, it has to. Uh, and, and, and by the way, it also will have a role in the area of that's media right. literacy, yeah. which is something that's that's particularly crucial and encouraging diversity in media, a diverse range, uh, range be of voices. Media, um, regulation commissioner as well. There, there, yeah. So, so we also stitched specifically into the legislation as well. Mm. Uh, there will be an online safety commissioner. It has to have teeth. Um, because this is this is crucial not just around media regulation and how you know stations like this will operate, but as Adrian was talking about, how crucial it is to our democracy, how crucial it is, as Fernanda said, to our local communities. And Seamus will know about you know the importance of yeah. local radio, local newspapers who are under yes. serious serious yeah. funding threats yeah. at the moment. I mean, and let's talk about that because I think that's one of the recommendations: is this um, zero percent. That isn't it on on sort of accessing on on newspapers for sale? Do you think that would make a difference? I think the government are stating, well, look, that's an EU well, that's, issue when it that's comes one, to tax. That's one of the proposals, and you know, I'm I would have to say I, I think the newspaper owners have to convince that if they do that, that they won't simply increase the price and benefit directly. That there has to be some link with that with investment in editorial resources. But on the point, I mean, there's a few things I want to point. First of all, RT for instance never looked for an increase in the license fee. We're not. There was no request for an increase in the license fee. You could gain money and you could significantly by simply improving the collection system and could improve it in a way which would broaden the mandate to allow money outside of RT and TG Carrot. That is entirely possible. I have some concerns around the uh, recommendations of the Media Commission in relation to the, the new commissioner because it becomes an all-singing, all-dancing, very powerful body, actually more powerful than government in some respects. And I would like to, I think there is a need for separation between training and development. Uh, and I think you could have a separate body than that. Okay. You now have a body that does that okay. and media regulation and everything else in between. And I think okay. that that's going to be a very busy and probably too busy body. 
too busy body. Okay, let's <laughs> hear. Literally, I think, and I think that is real inter- potential for real yeah. interference. Uh, let's hear um, what, what Orti had to say just about this report and where it should go. Strongly impressed upon the Minister of the need to ensure that any legislative changes and system reforms are progressed as quickly as possible and within the lifetime of this government. So no pressure, although we've talked about what some see here as a lack of political will um, to date on it. Just back to the local newspapers, Adrian. Um, you know, the idea that newspapers and local media can be more influential than the likes of Facebook social media platforms, is that a reality? Well, in 2022, the reality is that local newspapers, like local politicians, generally leverage the likes of Facebook and YouTube and Instagram for their influence and for their reach. We are entering a very interesting time, though. How do you say that somebody who maybe does a lot of work, maybe does a lot of um, minority information work, for example, has a Patreon account, charges a five or a month, and let's mm-hmm. say might have 20,000 subscribers there. How do you value that person's contribution to local media or to national media against, say, a local paper that might have 12,000 uh, subscriptions? How do you rate somebody who has set up a YouTube account uh, about environmental awareness, for example, that has 100,000 uh, followers? Because they don't fall under any regulation. They wouldn't be entitled to anything under a Sound and Vision Fund well, or any of that. And there's also a problem of snobbery. So for about two or three decades, my industry, the news- newspaper industry, has done a terrible job in looking down its nose at uh, a lot of these digital channels. Um, Mm. Up till very, very recently, uh, if you mentioned something like YouTube or Facebook, people would sniff and say that's not real media. That's absolute nonsense. And it's a very, very painful mistake that we make because then we get the election of people like Donald Trump. We see what's going on in Eastern European countries. The Taoiseach so how do you get that, how do you, I suppose, how do you get that balance right when you're saying look to, Paul, you're saying look to traditional media um, for, you know, your, your trustworthy news when the reality is that people aren't necessarily looking there in their droves anymore? And I think that's, again, the challenge of the funding model, because if you look at where the money is going, you know, RTE1 and RTE Radio 1 are dominant across a key sector, and that's where most of that sector go and get their information. Everybody else is going to a whole range of other places. And I think if it's a shameless point, if you can support traditional media and local media to get engaged with these people, because if you look at where most of the talent in RTE has come from, it's from local radio, it's local newspapers, and it's places like here. So there is a de- there's a depth of talent there that could be brought through if the right kind of investment was made, if there was encouragement and development through the colleges academia to bring this kind of cohort into the kind of mainstream and understand better how people engage with content because they don't engage with it very much in the just, linear format. Just on the, the big picture about the national broadcaster and the purpose it serves, like people would say, you know, that should be funded and funded accordingly because they're making programmes, you know, for, say, for, for fringe communities, not mainstream, because they're important, because they're worthy and you won't necessarily get them elsewhere. But again, I think to Vinola's point, that's where the model again, I think is wrong. If you have a dual model and you're chasing a commercial audience versus a public service audience, you're, you, you can't be mastered to, to, to two of those. those should, th- should that go? I mean, is that, is that inherently wrong? That we, we're seeing RTE getting this money and the transparency that Paul mentioned, that there's a concern there that we don't exactly know, is it going to sports rights? Is it going to formats? Or is it going to that minority programming that's very yeah. important? Yeah. Well, well we, we've had to debate the Oireachtas Media Committee on this, and even in terms of you know, what model should RT be and whether RT should move to what would be called a publisher-broadcaster model, that in other words, it commissions a lot of this programme 
uh, from the independent production sector. And in, in many cases, a lot of that diversity of programming is actually being provided uh, by the independent production sector. I think the Sound and Vision Fund you know, has so been a wonderful example. Uh, well, I, I think the key coming out of all of this is that we still need to ensure that Irish stories are being told, uh, that we're able to tell them not just domestically, but indeed to an international audience. And, and Adrian is right, whether that is on what we might call the traditional channels or indeed on, on new media channels. And we haven't even talked about, you know, as we move into the metaverse and so on and about how we're going to be engaging in you in media channels. Um, but, but this is going to be a challenge. And I think it's not just okay. about a discussion of media. It's also about a, a discussion about our communities, all our right. society and our democracy. OK, key to all of this is that discussion is ongoing, Seamus, and uh, you'd like to see something happen very quickly on I'd this. I'd like to see it happening, but I also have to say we were very careful about the concept of getting a public service broadcaster to do the boring bits that you think it's worthwhile and other people make money on it. And I'm reminded of the disgrace, you know, there's nothing more eloquent than a vested interest disguised as a point of principle. So I think we have to be careful on any discussion. But it's great to be here. We're not normally allowed into this building court. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody should read the report, third level students in particular, yeah. okay. media. Great. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. a, a lot to take in there. Uh, my thanks to Fanola, Paul, Seamus and Adrian. Malcolm is staying here with me. Next, new laws plan to combat hate crime. Stay with us. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Northern Ireland's Justice Minister has reported effigies of her and other politicians hanging from loyalist bonfires to the PSNI. Naomi Long said she'd been sickened by images she'd seen online. Sinn Féin has also complained to the police over the incidents. She tweeted that she had received photos of the effigies of her, Michelle O'Neill and Mary Lou Macdonald on a bonfire in Carrickfergus. Well, I'm joined now from Belfast by journalist Amanda Ferguson to discuss condemnation of hanging effigies on the 12th of July bonfires this week. We're not showing um, those images and we've made the decision not to show them. They're really uh, quite disturbing, as you can imagine. And Amanda, it's provoked a lot of reaction, condemnation, but also criticism that there isn't enough standing up to, 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 to what we're seeing and, and images not just of this, but, but, but elsewhere on bonfires um, celebrating the 12th of July this week. Yes, that's right, uh, Claire. It's been a very long five days since Saturday night since uh, a man in his 30s lost, lost his life falling from a bonfire. Uh, we've had the aftermath of that. Then we've had the 11th night bonfires themselves and the 12th and uh, various incidents linked to that. Now, it should be said that most people in the north are disgusted uh, whenever these types of incidents roll around, but it does seem to be an annual occurrence that we're discussing these matters. Naomi Long, uh, Michelle O'Neill and Mary Lou MacDonald, effigies of them uh, were hanging from a bonfire. There was also misogynistic uh, language, Irish flags being burned, election posters being burned, um, and it's been felt uh, amongst some that the uh, condemnation amongst unionist leadership in particular has been a little bit wanting. Now, it's not uh, universal, uh, but certainly uh, Naomi Long uh, suggested that the DUP leader, Sir Geoffrey Donaldson's condemnation of, of the uh, incidents over the last few days have been weak, as she described it. Yeah, where does all this go from here then? Like Naomi Long saying, look, I have reported this to the PSNI. Um, I presume it is being investigated. But generally, if you don't have a very strong unionist voice coming out and condemning this, but, but talking instead about, you know, for the most part, things are fine and, and this is about celebrating a culture. Is there a problem, a, a huge problem here that really this isn't going to go away this year? And really, is anything going to be done about the likes of this? Well, I think that things are getting better. And certainly out of the 250 bonfires that took place, this isn't something that happened at all of them. You know, you could see people posting from community beacons and there were no flags or no uh, hate displays. The police were always going to do this as an ev evidence gathering uh, operation. The, the 12th of July is the biggest policing operation uh, of 2022 so far. 
followed by the 11th of July, followed by the election, the centenary period, uh, and then Easter. So the police are are gathering evidence at the moment um, on these matters um, in in the hope of pursuing uh, the people who may be behind them. Now, you know, not not everybody um, who is involved in the 12th or 11th of July hates uh, Ireland, uh, both jurisdictions, hates Irish people, hates Catholics, uh, hates their neighbours. But I think there's a sense that uh, we need to tackle uh, the sort of abnormal becoming normalised in in society in the north uh, to make sure that there isn't a repeat of this again next year. It can't just be something that's condemned uh, in the aftermath uh, of the loyal uh, orders, most important uh, weekend of the of the calendar, and then uh, we forget about it until next year. Uh, there's certainly a sense that uh, the misogynistic comments, the the sort of hate uh, displays, the flags b- burning, and so on, it just isn't something that will be tolerated in uh, the rest of the UK and the rest of Ireland. Uh, so please, please, people are going to want to see um, a swift response from the police, and perhaps in the build up to these um, activities, that uh, more can be done uh, to remove some of the, uh, these items. But certainly, there's also the malign influence of paramilitaries in the mix as well. Yeah, uh, and the regulation uh, of all the activities that we're seeing at this time. Um, Amanda Ferguson, thank you for joining us for the very latest um, on that story. Well, Fianna Fáil, uh, Senator Malcolm Byrne is still here with me. I'm also joined now by former Dublin Lord Mayor and Green Party Councillor Hazel Chew and criminologist Trina O'Connor to discuss government plans now to strengthen hate crime and hate speech legislation here. Um, To come to you first, Hazel, on this, you have long been a campaigner for action on hate crime. As a public figure and a former Lord Mayor, you were subjected to a lot of abuse. How much has your experience influenced the need you believe for change in this area? I think it's not just my experience, it's so many in the country, Claire. I think if we can bring it back to why we've gotten to this point, there are people in our country that's living in fear, living in fear because of their race, their gender, uh, uh, their gender expression or identity, their disability, um, their sexuality, their religion, their nationality, and this bill will hopefully help a long way to protecting them because they're living in fear of not just discrimination, but fear of hate through it, be it assault or abuse online, that really shouldn't be the case. And we don't want to live in a country where because by virtue of you being in any of those categories, Mm. you are being hated. So this bill goes a long way into bridging that gap that we have from the 1989 legislation to bring something more um, up to spec and up to purpose of what we can do. I'm wondering in, in your instance, Hazel, do you believe under that, this new proposed legislation that people um, who did that to you, who issued those threats, um, could be prosecuted where they couldn't be prosecuted before? Do you think it'll fundamentally change that? I I think it will. I think right now with the new uh, legislation that the Minister is planning to bring through, that there is the, not just the motivation test, which the initial draft has, but it has the demonstration test. So you have the subjective test of you you are motivated, but you have the objective test as well of demonstration. So in my instances and other people, so I'll give you an example. Uh, If someone previously had which they did uh, treat, uh, uh, you're a chink, you should get out of here, or you should be deported. Um, 
that will probably fall or not fall within the bar. But some of the other uh, examples would be, um, Hazel, when you go out to your car, uh, I hope it explodes. That will, within this legislation, hopefully be caught within the demonstration and motivation test of the online. So I think that this actually increases um, the it increases the chances of prosecution and inf or enforcement, which I think is very much needed. And I look at other politicians and I look at other public figures, and I think if you want people to be involved in public life, in political life, for example, this needs to be done. But mm. it's not just politicians. I look at friends who are within the LGBTQI community, friends within the disability community, you look at how transgender assaults have gone up, and this is something we need to keep in check. You know, when we talk about this, Trina, it's interesting what Hazel said, that if something incredibly inf offensive is said online, you know, that that's not deemed a hate crime per se. This demonstration test is key to it because it is complicated, isn't it? Yes, it is complicated, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't address it. And I think one of the things that needs to come with this new bill is training for our Garda Khan, that they can interpret the law, that they can make proper judgments and proper calls at, at the time that's timely, so that justice is swift. I think it's important that that happens. But I don't think it's just a policing issue. I think it's a wider societal issue, and we need to do a campaign around... Um, education, around dialogue across communities to get people to work together in the new multicultural society that we have in Ireland now. People need to accept that we're a multicultural society. And additionally, I, I'm not sure if um, tougher sentencing is the only way to deal with hate crime. I really think we need to be looking at restorative justice and processes so that victims can have voice, so that mm. people who are perpetrators of these types of crime can hear the harms that they're causing to people. And I also think generally within communities, we need to be allies and we need to uh, pick up on microaggressions when we see them and we need to support people um, and provide them with an opportunity to feel safe within their own community. Why has that education not been there to date? I mean, you know, schools, communities may argue that um, we have these discussions around, you know, um, tackling racism, we hear about campaign. Is that the sort of thing you're talking about? Uh, absolutely, because like I have two mixed race sisters and some of the stuff that's said to them on a daily basis, it, I, I imagine is coming from they're hearing it somewhere else. So if people can learn bad behaviours, they can unlearn bad behaviours with a proper campaign. But it takes openness, it takes dialogue, and it takes resources. It can't be just done ad hoc. It and needs to be done throughout the country. And as a criminologist, when you're talking about that education, and, you know, it starts off with, you know, the threats, the offensive language, and then you're talking about it going to full-scale assaults and what we are seeing, a rise in homophobic crime and all of that in, in our um, town and city centres yeah. at the moment, um, racial attacks, people feeling unsafe on the streets. And That's that, how it's playing out. And, and that comes through social media also. And these social media platforms have a responsibility. Even to speak to Amanda's point there about the images that were posted, they should be taken down. They shouldn't be given any um, bandwidth 
concerned with at all. Immediately, social um, media platforms should be on high alert. The 12th of July happens every year, we know, so they need to be on high alert. They need to be looking out for these things and not giving them any air. You know, but Justice Minister Helen McEntee was keen to say this won't be a clampdown on free speech. Is there a fear there that if you're saying, you know, we want uh, hate crime and hate speech to be targeted, um, that, that somehow people's liberties will be at risk there, Malcolm? Well, I think, first of all, it's, it's very welcome news. Uh, and I'd also like to pay tribute uh, to people like Hazel, but also my, my colleague, Senator Fiona O'Loughlin, who's introduced legislation on this in, in both the Dole and uh, the Shannad. Uh, and this is not about inhibiting um, free speech. You know, it is about allowing people, uh, you know, to express their views freely. But at the same time, when you express your views, there has to be a responsibility as well to ensure, yes, people are, are going to get offended. But at times this goes beyond this. And Hazel, you know, illustrated quite well, you know, how far, you know, the line uh, uh, On a very practical level, does this mean this will be prosecuted in a way that it couldn't be before? Well, well, well certainly in terms of, of hate crimes. And I mean, I, I, I would instance in terms of we have seen a rise, as you mentioned, in terms of uh, crimes against uh, gay men, against uh, those who identify as trans, uh, and where, you know, it can be shown that the motivation that it was an aggravated crime simply because the person was gay or the person was trans, that was why they were, they were assaulted. If that can be shown, that will be taken into a, a, account when it comes uh, to sentencing. I, is this I, the demonstration test? It, it is the test. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it's like anything when something comes to, uh, to court, you know, it, it, the case has to be yeah. proven. But certainly if you talk to, if you talk to, and, and we've heard the stories, for instance, some of the gay men who have been assaulted, when they tell the story about the language that's being used when they are being attacked mm. randomly. Uh, now, a random attack, you know, is completely unacceptable on anybody. But when you see that it is motivated uh, by yeah. homophobia, then in those circumstances, a message has to go out. And it does have to be, it's about, you're right, it's about more yeah. than legislation, it's about education. And it is about the social media companies mm. taking a, a, a much stronger line. And, yes. th and that's why the online safety media yeah. regulation bill uh, we talked about uh, is hopefully going to address some of that. Hazel, I just, uh, you know, we're still waiting for more details around this. We got an announcement today, but the exact details around this demonstration test have to be uh, yet to be released by the department. Are you concerned about further delays to what you would see as a matter of urgency? Well, the Minister has said that she hopes to have this pretty much signed by Christmas. Now, let's bear in mind that we have been looking at this since 2019 and various campaigners have been looking at that this beforehand. But the reason why it takes time is because you just, and Malcolm and uh, Trina has alluded to how serious this is. You don't want to infringe on people's freedoms. You don't want to take away their freedoms. But our freedoms are not absolute. They're not limitless. Mm -hmm. So if you look at slander, at defamation laws, that your freedom uh, ends when it uh, infringes on mine, my rights. So, um, and there is a, a society that we need to live in that needs to make sure that it doesn't tolerate intolerance. But to Malcolm's point on aggravation, the reason why this is actually a great new step is because the aggravated factor is really important. Sure. It will bring in a higher penalty, but it will also mean that the crime can be seen as a hate crime from okay. the beginning. All right, we'll leave it there. My thanks to Malcolm, to Hazel and to Trina, who joined us tonight. Next, a high temperature advisory here as Europe faces a dangerous and deadly heat wave. Stay with us.
Yes, uh, an early advisory for hot temperatures really from Sunday and into the Welcome back. Met Aaron has issued a high temperature advisory as Europe faces a dangerous and deadly heat wave. The advisory is in place for a week with over 30 degree possible in some places. Well, earlier I spoke to Alan O'Reilly from Carlo Weather about this alert. Yes, uh, an early advisory for hot temperatures really from Sunday and into the early days of next week. The temperatures widely expected to get into the high 20s and possibly going over 30 degrees for some parts especially Sunday, Monday and possibly even Tuesday. Alan, are we equipped for this sort of uh, heat event? It has been a mixed summer so far. Uh, the rise in temperatures that we're expecting, which could be up to 30 degrees, will come as a shock to many people and many vulnerable people uh, could be impacted by it. Yes, yeah, certainly, you know, we're, we're seeing the effects of climate change with these increasingly reoccurring high temperatures across many parts of Europe. Um, also, we will see some very warm nights, which often causes problems. A risk of a tropical night where temperatures don't go below 20 degrees, especially on Sunday night. But temperatures widely staying into the high teens at night time, which can cause issues, unfortunately, for those people who are vulnerable. And is that right across the country that we're expecting these high temperatures, Alan? Yeah, it really is. Most areas will see very high temperatures. Along the coast, it will be a few degrees back. But really, we are looking at temperatures getting close to, if not above, 30 degrees in many parts of the country and really above 27, 28 degrees for nearly all inland areas. OK, it's not forever, though. We are expecting uh, rain to come, aren't we, by midweek next week? Yeah, well, there's some uncertainty around the timing of the low-pressure system, but there is a low-pressure steering this hot weather towards us, and it's likely that Tuesday into Wednesday we will see a breakdown with a risk of some heavy rain and even some thunderstorms. But that will... Clear off again on Wednesday and high pressure coming back in again. OK. And look, while it is due to heat up here, it is scorching elsewhere, isn't it, Alan? Like the UK is on high alert and Spain and Portugal have had their second heat wave in a matter of weeks. Yes, certainly. Some weather models are showing a possibility of getting close to 40 degrees in parts of England, which would be an all-time record there. Um, and they'll get quite close to it if they don't get to 40 degrees. But certainly parts of Spain and Portugal have seen temperatures in excess of 46 degrees. And again, very warm nights, temperatures not dipping below 26 degrees. That's also going to move into southern France now, with temperatures are going well above 40 degrees in parts of southern France. So unfortunately, we are seeing some very high temperatures right across Europe, Western Europe especially, and that is causing a lot of problems, as you say, in terms of forest fires and obviously vulnerable people not being able to cool down at night time. And mm. looking at the longer range forecast for the rest of the summer, certainly we were told that temperatures were expected to be higher um, this summer. Is that what we're looking at as we head um, into the end of July and into August indeed, Alan? 
Well, really going beyond 10 days, it's very uncertain. It does look like temperatures will drop back to more normal uh, temperatures in the low 20s after next Wednesday. But uh, we really can't rule out another heat wave because we have another whole month of August, which is still a meteorological season of summer. Um, so really, we, we have another six weeks of potential hot weather. OK, Alan O'Reilly of Carlo Weather. Thank you for joining us tonight with the latest on the weather. And I'm joined now by the editor of Air and Travel magazine, Owen Corrie, to discuss the continuing travel chaos at Europe's airports this summer. Um, Owen, on this, I think the focus has turned now from the security queues that everyone was complaining about to baggage delays and lost baggage and, and really impacting people's travel plans. Same issue. It's just turning up in different ways. Baggage all understaffed, service areas in the airport, including check-in understaffed. And they, some of the airlines running into cabin crew shortages. Two transatlantic flights yesterday, normally to protect the transatlantic flights, but two transatlantic flights, uh, Boston and Chicago, lost yesterday by Aer Lingus. We're losing not a huge amount of flights this week. Certainly we were losing 12, 13, cancel two cancellations uh, the previous week. Two or three when you're having 320 departures is not the biggest deal in the world, but that's no use if you're actually on one of those flights. And is that all down to staff shortages because of COVID? Is the strike action impacting uh, travel as well? Because we had that issue, didn't we, in Italy? Certainly. Um, all back to COVID, there's a lot of what's happening with uh, strike action. The most dramatic at the moment is what's happening in SAS. SAS we lost the Oslo flight yesterday, or today, and 50% uh, of their pilots are out. But a lot of unions through Europe uh, saying we had money taken away during COVID. Some of them haven't got it back. A uh, few deals being signed. Uh, Ryanair signed with the British pilots and cabin crew last week. Charles de Gaulle signed with their check-in. That was going to be a big strike. The one we're all watching is the air traffic control in Marseille. That will have uh, a hugely... Uh, huge impact because all airlines are asked to reduce the number of flights. Ryanair is well-publicised flights with cabin crew right across southern Europe. There's more drama about the calling of these strikes than the strikes themselves because Ryanair has signed deals with the main unions mm. in all these countries. It tends to be the second or the third union which calls the strike then. They, it's very hard for someone in Ireland to know that, but the impact of the strikes which are ongoing uh, through the Ryanair network yeah. hasn't been great. Hasn't been, we haven't lost a single flight from Ireland, for instance, to Spain or Portugal. We have lost to some to Belgium. What about flights uh, to and from the UK? Because Heathrow is now capping passenger numbers. What effect is that having? Big deal again, because uh, some of the airports, and Heathrow is not the only one doing it, Gatwick and Amsterdam have also done it. They've said, we, we can't cope in the terminal, similar to end of May in Dublin. Uh, let's ask the airlines to reduce the flights. It's a big deal for Heathrow because we've already reduced the flights. We've only we've 16 flights a day, which sounds a lot, mm. but we had 21 before COVID. And British Airways had reduced from seven back to four a day. Aer Lingus, uh, you know, they've lost a couple through their own staff uh, mm. shortages. It, you're pairing back an airport, which is a very big feeder hub for Ireland, because a lot of people going to uh, Heathrow are not going to London. Yes, they're going to Heathrow and then they're going on elsewhere. So what happens if you turn up at the airport and the airline says, you know what, we're not actually, this, this flight you were due to get on, you've paid for, you've got your seat and everything booked, it's not leaving now. Is it happening? Is, it, is the turnaround or the decision being made um, as close to flight times? About 25% of our cancellations in Dublin have been close to flight times. That's within four or five hours. They're the ones caused by staff shortages. Uh, if you, the, you can tell by the rosters the night before, you're not going to make it. 
passengers get emailed. Not your problem, it's the airline's problem to get you to where you're supposed to be. They're good at it. They're good at it because it happens in winter a lot that they run into weather events, they run into volcanoes, they run into thunderstorms during summer and they run into the air traffic control strikes. And briefly, Owen, um, All-Ireland Weekend Hotel prices, they are back in the spotlight once again. And this trick of dynamic pricing, as they call it, uh, that's really uh, coming to bear and costing people in their pockets. We're already paying so much for hotels this year. A very tiny number of rooms are still unsold for these weekends. So walk-ins are getting a really hard time. Part of the reason is that we've three years stacked up inbound tourism, which meant that even before the summer started, 80% of our hotel stock was gone. Another 16% went to government contracts. And some of it is out of the game because they never reopened because of staffing shortages. All of that will probably come back a bit next year. Mm. There'll also be another two or 3,000 hotel rooms in the system by next year, but that's not going to solve the problem for the All-Ireland Final. No, and I don't know if it will be solved by next year either. Owen, thank you for that. Always that is it a great from pleasure. us. Yeah. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram tonight, VMTV, but from all of the team here, good night. Take care. a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.